Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of John and what it means for our lives to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Kevin Bora and Nancy Click. So we're glad to have the two of you with us today and look forward to hearing a little bit about both of you. Kevin, before we get to that, would you tell us a little bit about how you and Nancy know one another? Sure. Well, thank you for having us, Amber. I feel like I'm a newbie here at First Pres since I've only been a member for uh, not quite eight years now, compared to so many who have been here 30, 40, 50 plus years, which I really love that about First Pres. But Nancy and I know one another from Columbia County Parish Women's Bible Study. That's a mouthful. Uh, where we have been able to grow closer through studying God's Word. Um, we're also in the same Sunday school class. And over the years, we have prayed together. We've shared burdens together and encouraged one another during difficult times. Then outside of church, we have also done some kayaking on the Savannah River together. Nancy and her husband, Martin, like the outdoors as I do, and they have been very kind to include me on so many adventures. Right now, we're trying to schedule a bike ride on the Greenway. That sounds fun. But the weather has not been cooperating with our schedule. Rainy weekends, right? You've been trying well, to go on the weekends? Well, even during the week. Yeah. It has not been pretty to get on the bike yet, but... These last two days, if you had the time, would have been so nice. We were trying the last two Fridays, and it was, you know, raining. Well, it was forecasted to rain, but then it was... It didn't rain. It was beautiful. Right. Trying to build me up for my Bark and Bike tour. Yes. All right. you got to yes. get this thing built up. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nice. Nobody can see what you're pointing at. Too. That's okay. They Nancy. <laughs> well, well, you got to tell us, what is that tour? The okay, the barge, the and, barge bike? and bike tour. We're going to the Netherlands, and we're going to barge at night and then bike during the day. How fun. That is really fun. I did not know you were such a cyclist. I'm not. Okay. That's why Hence I need the to build this up. up. Yes. yes. <laughs> Makes sense. Oh, well, Martin is. Okay. You need, a, you need a tandem. You can sit back there oh, and take yeah. pictures. No, we tried that. That tandem's a talent. You do have to have a talent for that, to follow directions, oh. you know, <laughs> yeah. and you have to be a, a kind leader. Oh, mm. okay. <laughs> Enough said. Uh, we do fine now. We didn't always. We do fine with a uh, tandem kayak. Okay. But not. Not the bike. Love it. Yeah, that's a great way to start. Let's keep on moving and do our first things first question that we always do at the beginning of every episode. And the first things first question for today is what is the first professional sporting event you attended? So you're going to answer the question and also tell us a little bit about yourself. And Nancy, you go ahead. Start us off. Well, the first uh, professional sporting event I went to was as an adult because we didn't do that as kids. I went to a Stars hockey game. Okay, It's the Probably one of the only times I've ever seen hockey, but I went to a Stars hockey game in Texas. I'm married to Martin. I have three wonderful children and nine perfect grandchildren. Aww. Do each of your three children have three children? And that's no, no, how you no, have no. nine? No, I have. Okay. Uh, my oldest has four girls, and then my next has three boys, and then my daughter has one of each. Okay. All right. But they're all perfect. Oh, in every way. <laughs> Love that. What about you, Kevin? Well, um... I know I never went to anything like a professional sporting event as a child. 
And even in college, it was all about the Carolina Gamecocks because mm-hmm. that's my alma mater. But um, so I'd have to say the first professional sporting event I attended was to see the Dallas Cowboys uh, play in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we moved to Texas right after we got married and we took in all the sights and sounds. And I really don't remember anything about the game, but I have a lot of fond memories of living in Texas for the seven years before we moved back this way. Hmm. Um, yes, my name is Kevin. It's spelled just like the boy's name, but I'm a girl. <laughs> and um, maybe my parents wanted a boy. Um, since they already had a girl. I don't know, but they always told me they just liked the name. So it's definitely different for a girl, um, even in today's times. I am a widow. My husband went home to be with the Lord almost 19 years ago. I have three adult married children, two boys and a girl who all grew up in Evans, but they all now live in the Charlotte area. I have six grandchildren and another baby girl coming mm, in May. So Yay. fun. Sweet. And I'm a real estate agent, and I'm very, very humbled to be with all of y'all today. I'm glad y'all are here. We are glad. Yes. And your grandchildren are perfect, too, I'm assuming. Yes. Oh, okay. I forgot to say yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> so my husband is a big sports fan. He could tell you every stat of everything going on, like, the curling, the ice thing or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, he probably knows about that. I don't care as much. Definitely have been to my share of college football games. But I think the only professional game I could think of that I've ever been to is the Braves. So, you know, that's all I got. Okay. Did you take your kids when you went to the Braves? Um, Brad, you know what? Oh, my goodness. Now that you mention it, I have been with Zeke when he was a baby. And on the way back, we were stuck in traffic. And I nursed him on, like, is it 285? Yeah. 285 that goes around Atlanta. And we were just moving so slowly and he was screaming in the back of the van. And I totally just that is my memory of going to the Braves game with a a child. All right. Well, I did go to a professional sporting event growing up because my dad is also very much into sports, like you're saying that Brad is. And he loved the Cubs. So we would travel to Chicago from this little tiny town, Upland, Indiana, to go watch the Chicago Cubs play. And I remember being somewhat interested, but I was definitely more interested in people watching mm-hmm. and concession stand mm-hmm. eating. Yeah, And I do remember that's where I learned to French braid my hair. Oh, wow. Maybe bottom of the ninth, and I just was so bored, and I was working on French braiding my hair by myself. So I'm sure that's why my dad took me to the Cubs games. Yeah, but you know what I do love about sports and if you are somebody who enjoys sports, then going to see professionals play or going to see a great college team play, you love it because people are doing something you could never do or they're being someone that you could never be and they're doing it in such a way that they're leading to this like exciting victory that everybody gets behind and it's a little bit of an emotional rush. In our passage for today, we're going to see Jesus making the second of seven I am statements that John records in his gospel. We talked about the first of these statements last week from John chapter six, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, the I am statements speak to the reality that Jesus is someone we are not, and he does things we could never do. God said to the prophet Moses in the end of Exodus chapter three, I am who I am. So Jesus' use of these I am statements set him apart as God and the only one who connects humanity to God by securing for his people victory over sin and death and granting to them eternal life. 
Now, as I've just said, John records seven of these I am statements in his gospel. And you'll notice as you read them, as you work your way through the book, that they are always, almost always accompanied by either belief or a violent pushback from the Jews who just cannot or will not accept that this 30-year-old man standing in front of them is actually the eternal God in the flesh. It helps me to remember that Jesus isn't making these claims without a witness. The miracles and signs he works bear him witness. His own teaching bears him witness. The Father God bears him witness. The law and the prophets bear him witness. So those who refuse Jesus refuse this rich witness in favor of their own worldviews and desires. And we're going to see that same sort of pushback today in our passage. And yet the truth of who Jesus is still wins the day. So our passage for today is John chapter eight, verses 12 through 30. And I encourage you if you're listening and you haven't read this passage yet to stop push the pause button, read it, and then come back and join the conversation. John 8 is talking about the second of Jesus's I am statements, which is I am the light of the world. You'll remember John has already introduced this idea of light when he says in his prologue, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We're going to now talk about what was interesting to us in this passage. I want you all to start out talking about a little bit of context for why light, the fact that Jesus says, I am light is particularly interesting here in our passage, which if you know the context for this passage is taking place, Jesus is speaking during the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. What did you all see about that? And what else did you find interesting in the passage? Well, I was thinking they were in the middle of this uh, the festival of feasts and what that was, was they're remembering God's provision during the wilderness. He provided for them manna and Jesus is the bread of life. He provided water. Uh, he he gives you water that you'll thirst no more, and he gives you the light of life. And these Pharisees were men that knew this. They they lived this. They celebrated. It was a very joyful celebration. Um, and so when he comes up and he says this, they're taken aback and angry. And here he is, God. He is God, and they don't see it. Jesus is here, like you're saying, and they're taken aback, and he's saying, no, I am the light. I am actually the one that you're looking for. I'm, I am the one that's here. I am God's presence here in the flesh. My glory is cloaked in the flesh, but I am the true glory, the true light that you're looking for. Well, and I thought what was so interesting, too, is they would have seen that light. Like part of the Feast of Booths is the big lanterns. These lights are lit with just an immense amount of fuel. The place in which he made that statement, light was on display. And when we think light, you know, I think sunshine, I think interior lighting. But I don't know that I I wouldn't have made culturally that big connection that the Jews are making to he is the delivering light, like that light that led us out of bondage and into freedom, the one that we are celebrating and anticipating the culmination of that. All of that was going on in that festival, too. So he's very much using light. Well, the light that you're talking about mm-hmm. was on a hill, and it could be seen for miles around. So it wasn't just, a, you know, a light in the, in right, the tabernacle. Right. It was visible. 
Well, and they lit it all throughout. Mm-hmm. People would come and light lanterns outside mm-hmm. of the tents that they had set up. It's one of the three, I believe, feasts that people traveled to Jerusalem to honor. Yes. What I read about it said that they were in the court of the women, so the men and women could be there. I love that. And so there was a lot of people around. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting that, um, number one, that most of the words that make up this passage are written in red. Mm. These are the words spoken from Jesus, which is like a flashing light. Pay attention, pay attention. I know for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's very interesting that this passage is where he does make, like you said, the second of seven I am statements. Verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These words of Jesus written in this text are all about his relationship to God the Father. That's the big picture that he wants everyone to get. At least seven times in this passage, Jesus points to the fact that he is from the Father. He uh, speaks on the authority of the Father. He is going to the Father, and he does nothing on his own. However, he never mentions light again. Or the word light Mm -hmm. um, after verse 12. But he spends all of his time explaining the why he is the light of the world. Um, And that is by being with the father. He tells them, um, like you um, told us earlier, I am one with God, the great I am which comes from Exodus three fourteen that you mentioned, Amber, uh, which the people are, are familiar with. But then in verse 24 of this text, he says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And again, in verse 28, he says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. So the focus of this passage is on the deity of Christ, which is fundamental to salvation. And he wants those hearing his words to know that his testimony and his judgments are true. And and that is because of his relationship with God the Father. And I think the biggest declaration that y'all have already been saying is that he's saying that my pre- God's presence is here with us. I am the one that you've been looking for. I will be who I will be. I think that's what you were pulling out earlier, that how God has presented himself in Exodus. And he's just like doubling down on it and saying, I'm not who you expected. Mm-hmm. I'm different and I'm better. And I am the, the real ultimate deliverer. Well, I think it's interesting in the ESV, they use the phrase, I am he, but he's not there in the original. It's I am, and I am is what he was called in the Old Testament. I think it's also interesting, too, like just a couple um, passages earlier in John, you see um, 
John the Baptist being referred to as a lamp. And, you know, like the prophets were referred to as lamps, the psalmists. So you have like all these foreshadowing or like pointing towards the Messiah, pointing towards the Savior and these little lamps. And now Jesus is coming and saying, I'm not a lamp. I am actually the light. I am the presence. So it's just one of those moments, truly. Like if your eyes have been opened by faith, it was like a real light zone moment. Yeah. Well, and what stood out to me too, and we can move on to the second question from here, I think, is that he is declaring he's the light, but he's declaring, even though there's all this physical light that we've just described at this festival, it's actually darkness. Because if you read through the response to him, it's increasing opposition as he starts to make that claim, I am, and they're opposed to that. And I love this because I think he comes into the darkness for the sake of bringing light and the darkness hasn't overcome him. And even if you keep on reading through past where we end in verse 30, they try to stone him, they throw him out of the temple. And it seems like the darkness is overcome. But what is cool to me is that he came into that place intentionally. He knew the opposition he was stirring up. And he's saying, you're not going to recognize who I am until you, the Son of Man, until you've lifted up the Son of Man, essentially until you have crucified me and see who I am. And then I have broken into your darkness. I have brought salvation into your darkness by working that through your opposition, through your rebellion, I am bringing you light. And it really is all about his intention to bring the light. I just think that's beautiful. So talk a little bit then about the characters. I know I've alluded to it. They, they were, he was stirring them up. What did y'all see there and how did you relate to that? Well, besides Jesus, as far as being a person there, there were the Pharisees. And these were men who were educated. They were uh, men who were right now, they were just looking at things in the flesh. They couldn't see him and the spirit. They were dead. I mean, they dead people can't see. And so they didn't see him as anything other than just a man. And so they were insulted by it and and hurt. But then there were the others that, that heard with their heart. The Spirit had awakened them. Those that heard, they heard it because the Spirit allowed them to hear it. They weren't closed off to it. They were hungry to know what was true, and they heard it by faith. It was a gift that was given to them. Jesus is three years into his ministry, and the people have seen unheard of miracles and unparalleled teachings that have given evidence uh, to prove that he was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Savior, uh, the Son of God. And so the miracles of Jesus were, that was a common conversation. Uh, Large Mm. crowds were following him. I just imagine that everybody's talking about Jesus. I mean, when they get here for this feast, I I can just imagine they're seeing him and they're talking, oh, I saw this, I saw that. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees knew exactly what he was claiming. Mm -hmm. They were very familiar with the messianic promises that came through the prophet Isaiah about the Messiah being a light to the nations. In Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, it says, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. But they wanted an earthly king. They wanted a warrior king. They wanted a defender of Israel. So when Jesus presented spiritual truth, 
demanding recognition of their sin, condemning their false religion. The leaders became angry, attacking him, accusing him of an illegal claims, according to the law. As Amber pointed out earlier in in last week's podcast that, that I listened to, there had been much curiosity and wonder about the words and works of Jesus. So the people were curious, you know, what is this all about? But in chapter five, things begin to change. And the Jewish leaders were seeking to kill him, arrest him, um, because why? He was healing on the Sabbath and calling God his own father, all of those legalistic things. So by chapter eight, they are full of ridicule and sarcasm, mockery. But what does Jesus do? He continues to warn them um, about what's going to happen. You are going to die in your sins, yet they don't have ears to hear uh, and a willingness to believe. They just don't get it. They don't see it. The text says that no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. But we know the conflict is escalating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're, you're pointing out the fact that we are the characters, their response to him is opposition. And, and yet he continues on his mission for the very ones that are opposing him. That stuck out to me. So what, in what ways did this passage challenge or further your belief in Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Well, when you ask the question and you you contrast the life that you're living with the characters of this time, um, the people and their curiosity and the leader's hostility, it really calls me to consider my unbelief and my desire to control. It's, it's not about whether God will answer my prayer. It's will he answer in the way I want him to? And that's where the, you know, control, the Pharisees wanted to control. And um, they, 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 they wanted him as an earthly, they didn't want what he was offering. And I think we, we, we can be guilty of that. I'll, it also caused me to admit that there are times when I think and I react like a Pharisee, I react in the flesh with pride, being critical of others rather than walking in the spirit. And that's what they were not seeing. They, they were, you know, they, they didn't have the spirit. I also ask myself, am I seeking the approval of men rather than the approval of God? Um, so those were just some, um, and I think we need to guard our heart from the darkness We need to guard our heart from the darkness of this world like gossip, slander, isolation, shame, those things. Um, And while at the same time, we got to be about the business of of sharing the light. Yeah, I asked myself similar questions. Why the rejection? Why the accusation? Why questioning and judgment? Why not open to what was being offered? And you put your finger on some of that. There's pride. There's a sense of wanting to um, please man. And there's just 
the inability to even see the need or in inability to fully appreciate what's being offered. And that really is all throughout the book of John. You know, it, it's John's revealing who Jesus is and Jesus throughout his ministry is revealing who he is. But even his disciples don't get it until he's raised from the dead. The hero of the story is Jesus' intent on that self-revelation, that that light really is shining into the darkness. Well, in this one, he didn't uh, come across with miracles or anything like that. He just came across with words. I mean, words with authority for sure. Words that came as a result of his relationship with the Father. But but people came to faith as a result of that. It wasn't because of a, a big miracle that happened. And I have to ask myself, what challenges me? Do I, do I allow the Holy Spirit to work through me in such a way that he can use my words to change men's hearts? Do I live such a winsome life that people would be drawn to the Holy Spirit that lives within me? Pondering on it, I rephrase the question and simply ask myself, do I believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Do I believe he's God, that God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to save me from darkness? Um, Do I believe that he will save me from my sins, that he is the light that will lead me to God? And if the answer is yes, and it is, then the next question I must ask myself is, am I following him? Because In verse 12, he states, he is the light of the world. And then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what does that look like? What does it look like to follow him and walk as light in darkness? And that's what Nancy was alluding to. So I ask myself some of these questions. Am I satisfied in him or am I always looking for pleasure, entertainment, possessions? Am I trusting in my infinitely holy, sovereign, powerful God in the midst of every situation? Or am I trusting in my own ability to eliminate every uncomfortable issue in my life? Am I cultivating harmony and peace in those I live and work with? Or do I have a bad attitude, a negative spirit, bitterness, or lack of forgiveness? Am I focused on things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely? Or do I focus on things of the darkness, like I mentioned before, gossip, slander, shame, isolation, and hopelessness? Am I seeking God for help or a quick fix, a book, a friend, a seminar, a podcast? So my conclusion to those questions is that there is a lot of darkness out there. And as a believer, I not only need to believe in him, but I need to examine myself and follow him as my savior, my father, my rock, my defender, and my light in the darkness. What do you say to yourself when the answer to that is, I'm not? I'm not not satisfied in him. I'm not satisfied. What do you do with that? Yeah. Well, you have to go to the word. My favorite prayer, Jesus, help me. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And we say that, Lord, help mm-hmm. my unbelief, mm-hmm. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we have to humble ourselves and we have to go before him. We have to ask for his help. Mm-hmm. And we, but then that's not the end of it. No. You can't just, you have to do your part. You know, part of the answer to me, like if I'm not satisfied, 
It is to recognize and to repent and to ask for help. And then Lord said, let me see the light. Like you are satisfying. The problem isn't in your ability to satisfy. It's in my broken understanding of what satisfaction is. Yeah, it's all super helpful to think about. And Kevin, you mentioned the implicit command to follow. And you see that's present tense, like we are commanded to follow. And that's joyful obedience that sometimes we fall short of. But in the promises there, you see that we will not walk in darkness and we will have the light of life. So that is like you see that that is something that is under development. That's part of our sanctification that we're promised that so we can have hope that we're moving toward that. And all of you have already mentioned this, but I think it's just worth repeating that part of the light that we see is Jesus is revealing himself. He's showing us a little bit more of who he is. He's generously and graciously and patiently revealing himself, but he's also exposing our darkness. And without that tenderness of a Savior made man that's entered into our weakness, we would be crushed. But even you see it in the Old Testament as well, like the psalmist crying out, like, search me, O Lord, like, show me my darkness. I want to be delivered. And only a good father, a good king can give us that sort of correction. Like you were talking about, Amber, that we know that we're in darkness. We know that we can't fix it on our own. And he is good enough to show it to us. He's good enough to deliver us from our darkness and give us a heart that wants that righteousness. I think I've mentioned it on here before, but I'm just constantly surprised when I I want to do what is right. When I want to have a righteous heart, I'm like, I know that is not baseline Aaron. So I think that even that is just like the Lord testifying of his spirit within me that I am here with you. I want to see you walk in the light. I want to deliver you from your darkness more than you want it yourself. Well, that's so true because just, you know, more than you want it yourself. They did not want it. They did not want what he was offering. So as we close this out, let's think about just some final implications of this text for our lives and um, what we might walk away from uh, reading this passage. Well, my walk away was just allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell me on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. day by day, to be being filled so that I can be used of God, so that my words will be edifying, um, and so that I will be open to change, mm-hmm. uh, open to the Holy Spirit revealing my sin so that I can be changed. It reminds me, I think that I was talking a little bit earlier about how the lamp leading up to Jesus and Jesus is the light, the Jesus Christ event is the event. Mm-hmm. He's the center, brilliant light, but he's also invited us to be lamps following that. It's like we keep our lamps burning. So I think that's what you're talking about is that we are to continue to represent his goodness into the world by the power of the Spirit. That's helpful, Nancy. Thank you. Well, I feel that it's not an easy time to be a Christian. Media is bombarding society with ungodly messages. Christian values are publicly mocked. Um, Christ's holy name is used irreverently, and the pressure to conform to the world is intense. And you just feel like darkness, the world is getting darker and darker. Um, But this is the age God has placed us in. And each one of us must shine brightly. We must shine brightly, more brightly than ever before. This is not the time to have a dim or hidden light. As a Christian, I have victory through Jesus, who has already defeated evil and darkness. 
And um, I mean, I feel burdened for my grandchildren. And you talk with other grandparents and they feel burdened with everything going on in the world. It looks so dark. You know, I just feel like um, when the times get so dark, it's our greatest moment to shine, uh, to shine his light into the darkness. And I've just got to remember that that the light, his light is most valuable in the darkest moments. And I've got to share the light of my life more and live like I mean it. Well, when you say that and you think about taking your light into the darkness, it makes me think as dark as anything can appear to be out there, right in the world. And there are dark places. It's no darker than what was inside of me. Like that That's darkness right. is absolutely every bit oh, yeah. as dark as corrupt as yes, yes. as impenetrable. Right. And if Jesus shines his light in my darkness and brings light there, then yeah, there's hope for the world. Yes. Right. And That's so that right. light that we're taking mm-hmm. into that is that hope that we have that Jesus, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. You know, you think about that scene and I love this scene in Lord of the Rings. And I think it's the return of the King, the last one and the dark forces are coming in on the white city. So you have this grand white city and the dark forces are outside of it and they're all rushing in. And so it's like the darkness is about to overtake the light. And you have Gandalf who represents the protection, the good light rides out and just holds up his staff and that light shines out and Mm -hmm. it just pushes back that darkness. And I love that. I think that's what Jesus does, pushes back the darkness. And that hope is what it's all about. That's what we have to share. That's the light. That's the good news. Yeah. Yeah. It is encouraging that we've been invited into the glory and one day we will be glorious like him like he tells us that that is our hope that one day we will be made perfect like him what an encouragement kevin and nancy thank you both for joining us today listeners we hope you'll join us again next week let us keep you company while you're having your breakfast in bed Mm -hmm. or your early morning coffee run that's me (laughs) josh and mallory click will be joining us next week to talk about john 10 and jesus being our good shepherd we hope you will listen in Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again a season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain.